Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. Thanks so much for your support. Well, now we uh, go back forward now uh, as we continue on to the rest of the series. Uh, this is the 33rd episode. Uh, this comes from April 25th, 1949, and it's The Adventure of the Golden Paznays. Please enjoy. <laughs> From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present that immortal character created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's story... The Adventure of the Golden Pass-Nay. Watson, keep your revolver at the ready. But, Holmes, why? The killer, my dear fellow, is here in this room with us. What? Dresden, Holmes, what are you talking about? Observe, Watson. The panel in this wall is loose. Suppose we open it to find what is revealed beyond. door of Dr. John Watson's study, and we're about to hear another of his adventures with the fabulous Sherlock Holmes. Well, good <laughs> evening, Mr. Harris. Oh, good evening, Dr. Watson. I, I hope you have another one of your memoirs available for us tonight. Indeed I have, Mr. Harris. Indeed I have. And it's a very singular adventure indeed. I might add here that it's one of my favorite memoirs, Mr. Harris, where the genius of my friend Holmes never shone more brilliantly. And the name of this adventure, Doctor? I shall always remember it as the adventure of the Golden Pass Nay. And after you've taken a moment to remind our audience of the merits of Clippercroft clothes, I shall proceed with the facts of this amazing story. Thank you, Doctor. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, if I had his money, I could be well-dressed too. But that's not necessarily so, because the amount of money you spend doesn't make you well-dressed. It's what you buy, where you buy it, and how well it suits you. You can prove it to yourself. It's as easy as this. Just try on a Clippercraft suit and see how well it looks on you. And you don't have to pay a fortune for Clippercraft. A fine new Clippercraft spring all worsted suit costs you only $45. And at that moderate price of $45, you get the greatest dollar for dollar value in America because you benefit from the unique Clippercraft plan by which more than 1,200 independent local merchants pool their tremendous buying power to give you the amazing Clippercraft value, the finest materials, and the very latest in style and color made by master tailors. Yes, sir, a Clippercraft suit at $45 is a great, great investment. So treat yourself to a Clippercraft suit 
and see what really fine tailoring can do for you. And now, Dr. Watson, what about this adventure of the Golden Pass Nay? Well, Mr. Harris, it took place in the year 1894. And this time, Inspector Hopkins, Holmes's young protege at Scotland Yard, was involved. It began in Kent at a great gloomy house called Yoxley Old Place. Here lived a rheumatism-ridden scholar and professor named Coram, a strange and mysterious man. One night, the professor, hobbling about the house on his stick, surprised his secretary, Sergius, in his study. Sergius! Professor Coram! What are you doing at that cabinet? Why, oh, I, I... Trying uh... to rob me, tampering with the lock when I came in, weren't you? I was a fool to trust you, you sneak thief. Professor Coram, I'm sorry. Get away I from was... that cabinet before I bash your head in with this stick. Yes, Now sir. leave this house. You're no longer my secretary. I'm giving you the sack you're here, and if you ever come back to Yoxley Old Place, I'll kill you. So he threatened to kill you, Sergius. Yes, Anna. He gave me the sack and took on a new secretary, a Mr. Willoughby Smith. Sergius, I must get into that locked cabinet in the study. I must. I will stop at nothing, nothing. Do you understand? And you must help me. No, Anna, not I. I've taken an impression of the cabinet lock, and here's a floor plan of the house. This is as far as I shall go. I see. So you are afraid. Yes, Anna. I am afraid. I will have nothing more to do with this affair. This Professor Coram is mad, dangerous. To get in his way means death. Very well, Smith. That is all the dictation I shall give you this evening. You may go. Yes, Professor Coram. Uh, but before I go, I have something to tell you. What is it? I was in Chatham this afternoon. The greengrocer told me a woman, a stranger, was inquiring the way to the house here. A woman? What woman? Did he describe her? Why, yes. The greengrocer said she was a foreign-looking woman, sir. Uh, black hair, tall, glasses, a tiny scar on her chin. Then it's she. She's found me at last. I... One moment, Smith. Uh, yes, sir. How do you know so much about this woman? How were you able to describe her so well? Well, I told you the green grocer... That's a lie! She sent you here. What? You want what I have in that cabinet in my study? You're spying on Professor me! Professor Coram, I don't know what you're talking about. I... I'm sorry, Smith. I... I'm afraid I misjudged you. Lost my temper for a moment. Forgive me? Of course. I... Good night, sir. Good night, Smith. Smith. Uh, Mr. Smith. Yes, Susan? Uh, where are you going, sir, so late at night? Into Professor Coram's study. Well, Mr. Smith, I wouldn't do that. Indeed, I wouldn't. I've been the professor's housemaid for more than a year, and I can tell you, he doesn't like anyone in his study after that. I'm just going in to get a book, and the professor's in bed. Maybe he is, and maybe he isn't. But mark my words, Mr. Smith. Don't go into the study. Look here, Susan. Suppose you go back to your room and stop giving me advice. I'm perfectly capable of managing my own affairs. But, Mr. Good Smith... night, Susan. Let's see, where is that lamp? If I remember... Who's that? Who's there by the cabinet? Professor Coram, is it you? I... 
No, 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 don't. I... Well, Mr. Holmes, that's the entire story. This Professor Coram's secretary, Willoughby Smith, was found dead in the study. A sealing wax knife in his neck. Interesting, my dear Inspector Hopkins. Very. And as you say, the presence of a knife a considerable distance from the body would indicate murder, not suicide. This uh, sealing wax knife was part of the equipment in the study? Yes, sir. It always lay on the desk. I see. And other than that, Inspector Hopkins, you found nothing? Nothing to put a finger on, Dr. Watson. That's why I returned from Kent in this beastly weather to consult you both here at Baker Street. Mr. Holmes, I need your help. Yes, quite people who come to the end of their wits usually do. Now then, Hopkins, a few questions. Yes, sir. You examined the grounds? I did. What did you find? A few faint impressions on the garden path. It must have been the killer. It was the only way to enter the house since the front door was locked and bolted. These um, footprints, Hopkins, were they coming or going? I couldn't say for sure, sir. They were so faint. Were they large or small? I couldn't distinguish, Mr. Holmes, as I said. They oh, were... rubbish. Holmes, what the juice? Oh, Hopkins, I'm disappointed in you. The faintest impressions in the earth when viewed with open eyes are enormously revealing. Now, in this pouring rain, they've no doubt been obliterated entirely. Watson. Yes, sir? Get your waterproof and your hat. You mean we're, we're going yes, to... Yes, quite. We're going to Yoxley Old Place in Kent. I believe there's a train for Chatham leaving Charing Cross in an hour. along the garden path. There's a narrow border of grass along it, some six inches in width. There is indeed, Watson. What of it? Well, the killer could have trod this strip of grass in order to conceal his footprints. Perhaps that is why Hopkins saw nothing. Oh, nonsense. Eh? Whoever entered the garden gate, Watson, and came along this path to enter the house had no intention of committing murder. Well, how'd you know that? It's elementary, my dear fellow. A killer would have come armed with a weapon. But this assassin used a sealing wax knife snatched from the study desk. Hence, the murder was on the spur of the moment. Yes, Joe Holmes, you're right. Yes, quite. But now, Watson, let us join Hopkins in the study. My dear Hopkins, surely you're aware that the dead man, Willoughby Smith, has a pair of glasses clutched in his hands? Certainly, Mr. Holmes, they're his. He must have just taken them off when he was attacked. Oh, that makes sense, Holmes. They're just the type a secretary would wear. Pince Black thread? Oh, poppycock. Eh? Give me the glasses, Watson. Oh. Let me examine them by the light of the window. Very well. Here you are, Holmes. Holmes, why the deuce are you trying them on? What can you find uh-huh. by... What is it, Mr. Holmes? These glasses tell a story indeed. What story? They belong to a woman. She's of good circumstance. A person well-dressed and refined. She has a thick nose, eyes set close together, a puckered forehead, peering expression... And probably rounded shoulders. Good Lord. How the deuce do you know all that, Mr. Holmes? Oh, it's obvious, Hopkins, obvious. The glasses are dainty and delicately constructed, hence a woman's. They're handsomely mounted in solid gold. Hence the owner is a woman of means and probably fastidious in the rest of her apparel. The width of the bridge is wide, hence a broad nose. And yet the eyes are close together, since I have a narrow face and yet cannot focus my eyes through the lenses. Yes, but Holmes, how do you know this mysterious woman has a peering expression? A puckered forehead? And uh, rounded shoulders, The eh? lenses, Watson, the lenses, they're extremely strong. And since the woman is myopic or nearsighted, it's reasonable to suppose she possesses these characteristics. But come, let's leave this room. Where to now, Holmes? The corridor, Watson. 
the corridor leading to this room and the professor's bedroom. He may find it extremely revealing. Well, seems to be an ordinary corridor to me. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I'm of a mind with Dr. Watson. Nothing seems amiss here. Indeed? Use your eyes, Hopkins, use your eyes. Observe. This corridor between the garden door and the study is covered with a kind of coconut matting. So, too, is the hall leading to Professor Coram's bedroom. They're exactly similar in nature. Is that significant, Holmes? Very. It means that the killer never left this house. What? Oh, you mean the killer's here at this moment? Hiding somewhere, perhaps? Precisely, Watson. And now, suppose we have a few words with this mysterious Professor Coram. <laughs> Here's some good common sense about men's suits. When you buy your new spring suit, don't deal in unknowns. Be sure to buy that new suit from a merchant you know and respect. And also be sure that it carries a label that merits your complete confidence. And that's exactly the sensible practice of thousands and thousands of well-dressed American men. They buy Clippercraft worsted suits at $45 from friendly, respected, independent merchants who give you real value not once in a while, but always. The exceptional quality of Clippercraft clothes is guaranteed by the Clippercraft label in every suit and topcoat. The trademark derived from the staunch Clipper ships that established honest New England quality everywhere in the world. You can always rely on Clippercraft clothes and the store that proudly sells them. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits and topcoats. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th, John Wanamaker's Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abram and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. Now, Dr. Watson, Dr. Watson, you were relating to us the adventure of the Golden Passnay. Yes, Mr. Harris, so I was. Holmes asked Inspector Hopkins to go to the kitchen and wait there with Susan, the housemaid, whom he proposed to interview later. Then Holmes and I entered Professor Coram's bedroom. The professor was lying in bed in a stifling fog of cigarette smoke. We introduced ourselves, and Coram greeted us cordially. Then he held out a cigarette box to us. Cigarette, Dr. Watson? No, thank you, Professor. Never touched... Mr. Holmes. Yes, by all means, I'm an avid cigarette smoker, my dear Professor. Holmes, what the devil... Watson, a light, if you please. Oh. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Hmm, these seem to be an unusual brand. Oh, yes. They are a rare blend, sir. Do you like them, Mr. Holmes? I do indeed. They're very mild, Professor. <clears throat> now, about the murder of your secretary, Willoughby Smith. Ah, oh, yes, Smith. A great catastrophe. A fine young man, able and intelligent. The loss is paralyzing to my household. I shall miss him indeed. And you have no idea who killed him or why? No, <coughs> I have not. Unfortunately, I knew very little of the young man. He had no enemies that you were aware of? Mr. Holmes. I do not pry into the personal affairs of my employer. <coughs> yes, Watson? 
Do you mind if I wait for you in the corridor? <coughs> this room's so heavy with smoke. Oh, not at all, my dear fellow. I have but one or two more questions to ask Professor Coram here, and I shall be out presently. Yes, Watson. What the juices happened to you, Holmes? Why did you tell Professor Coram you were a heavy cigarette smoker? I happen to know you never smoked one of those things in your life. Yet you were in there, puffing away for all you were worth. <laughs> I was indeed, my dear fellow. I had not one cigarette, but two. I found them both very helpful. In what way? I have high hopes that my new tobacco habit will help me catch a killer. What? Holmes, perhaps I'm obtuse, but dash it, what the juice of smoking cigarettes got to do with, with finding a killer? All in good time, my dear fellow, all in good time. Suppose we have a talk now with the housemaid, Susan. Now then, Susan, what happened after you heard the scream? Why, sir, I ran to the study, and there he was, poor Mr. Smith, lying on the floor. When I got to him, he opened his eyes for a moment before he died, poor lad. And he said something very peculiar. Indeed? What did he say? Well, it sounded funny like, sir. He said, the professor, it was she. The professor, it was she? Susan, why didn't you tell me this when I first questioned you? Because I was afraid you'd think me balmy, Inspector Hopkins. Hmm. The professor, it was she. I must say it makes no sense, the professor being a man at all. On the contrary, my dear Hopkins, it's both a logical phrase and a legitimate observation. It is now clear... Oh. What's that bell, Susan? Why, that's Professor Coram, sir, asking for his dinner. I'd better take it to him at once. I see. Uh, by the cutlets you're bringing him on that tray, my dear Susan, I'd say the professor is a man of healthy appetite. <laughs> you're right there, Holmes. There's enough there for a long shore. Uh, Susan, one more question. Is the professor a man of variable appetite? Why, yes, sir. So it seems lately, sir. I must say his appetite has increased sharply. Very good, Susan. You may take your tray in now. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, Mr. Holmes, what do you make of it? It's one o'clock now, Inspector Hopkins. We have only to wait an hour until two. Yes, Holmes? What will happen at two? Then, Watson, we shall talk to the professor again, and I shall produce the killer. Professor Coram, I hope that you don't present this second intrusion, but there are one or two more questions I must ask. Of course. Cigarette, Mr. Holmes. Uh, no, thank you. Not this time. Now then, sir, what is it you wish to know? How can I help you solve this deplorable crime? Oh, I've uh, already solved it, sir. Indeed, I've already found the killer. A remarkable statement, Mr. Holmes. A most remarkable statement. Just where is this killer? Right here in this room. Holmes, you mean the professor here? I mean, Watson, that last night the professor here received a strange and unexpected visitor. Oh, no, you don't, Mr. Holmes. Holmes, he has a gun under his pillow there. You'll never know the truth, do you hear? Give me that gun, Professor. Give it to no. me. No! Oh, Holmes, thank heaven you managed to wrest the gun away and the shots went wild into the wall. On the contrary, Watson, they almost reached their mark. You see, my dear fellow, the killer is in a recess behind that empty bookcase on the opposite wall. What? That's a lie, do you hear? A lie. Is it? Then suppose we see for ourselves... Note, Watson, this bookcase swings outward from the wall. Good Lord. So, you have found me. Holmes, it's a woman. Just as you described her. Exactly. The woman who killed Willoughby Smith. I, I didn't mean to do it. I wanted the papers in the cabinet. I came to get them and he walked into the room. It, it was dark and he heard me and then I, I seized the knife and... 
Allow me to complete your story, madam. You struck Smith in the neck, dropped the knife and ran. In the struggle, your victim snatched off your glasses, these golden pince-nez here. Oh, oh, you don't know what it is like to be half-blind, half-searched and searched. In your myopic condition, and because the corridors appeared similar, you made a mistake. You ran into the professor's room here, instead of through the garden door. Yes, yes, I came for the papers. I had to have them. I had to. What papers? Anna, you fool, be quiet. No, no, I shall not be quiet. It is you who are responsible, Anatole. Mr. Holmes, you must know the truth, the whole truth. This man is my husband. Your husband? Proceed, madam. He is a Russian, not an Englishman. We were married in Kiev many years ago, and we were nihilists. Revolutionists, Yes, eh? yes, then, then trouble came, the czarist police. My husband here betrayed me to save his own skin. I was sent to Siberia, and he... Silence, Anna! No, I will go on. I met a man in Siberia. I fell in love with him. He's still there. I needed papers to procure his release. But my husband had them in the cabinet in his study. And he would not give them to me out of malice and hatred. Then why did he hide you when you came into the room here? Because if I were found at large and arrested, he knew I would expose him. And I have friends. Friends who would cut his throat if they knew. That is why he hid me behind that bookcase and for no other reason. But now what, what difference does it make? I've killed a man. I have killed a man, and I am... She has a file in her hand, stop her. Give it to the oh, man. No. Here, no, I... Give it to me. Uh, 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 why didn't you let me die? Why didn't you let me die? Why didn't you let me take the poison? <laughs> Madam, it is more to your advantage, believe me, to stand before an English court and be judged. Here in our country, unlike yours, we do not subscribe to tyranny or verdict by decree. We have certain rights, and one of them is trial by jury. And in view of the nature of your deed and the motive behind it, there are certain extenuating circumstances. I'm afraid I cannot say the same for Professor Coram here. I have done nothing, and I am not subject to arrest. On the contrary, my dear Professor, you've shielded a murderer and a moment ago attempted murder yourself. Watson. Yes, Holmes? Suppose you admit Inspector Hopkins. He's waiting outside. <laughs> Well, Watson, we shall be in London presently. Holmes, how did you know this woman, Anna, hadn't escaped by the garden path? Well, in order to do that, Watson, she would have had to run along the narrow border of grass to avoid leaving definite footprints. An impossible task, certainly, for a nearsighted person in the dead of night. Remember, Anna had lost her glasses. Therefore, since Hopkins had reported no definite tracks, she had never left the house at all. Exactly. And Professor Coram's voracious appetite indicated that two people were eating those cutlets, not one. Therefore, I suspected that she was hidden somewhere in his room. Then I noted that there was one section of bookcase built on hinges to swing loose. But Holmes, what did the cigarettes you smoked have to do with it? You said they helped to find the woman. <laughs> they did indeed, Watson. I sprinkled the ashes on the carpet in front of the suspected bookcase. When we returned later, I noted that the pattern of the ashes on the carpet had been disturbed. That meant that our quarry had come out from her hiding place. You see, Watson, I may be a bachelor, but I know that any vain woman who has lost her glasses will go to almost any lengths to find them.
Dr. Watson. That was a very interesting adventure indeed. Yes, Mr. Harris. As I said, it is my opinion that Holmes rose to sheer heights of brilliance on this occasion. And, of course, he gave the credit to young Hopkins of Scotland Yard. Holmes was the soul of generosity in these matters, you know. Yes, Dr. Watson, I do know. And now, Doctor, what about next week's adventure? Well, next week, Mr. Harris, I shall relate to you the adventure of the blood-soaked wagon. It concerns a grotesque bonfire, a breathtaking chase across the countryside, and one of the strangest crises ever faced by the Royal Mint. The makers of Clipper Craft Clothes and more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Lochran. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Spelton. This week's story was written by Max Ehrlich with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in The Adventure of the Blood-Soaked Wagon. Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Here, Bill Henry on the news, which follows in a moment. The most comfortable shoe sole in the world. The Neolite sole. Light? It's light as leather. Smart? It's smart as leather. And wear? It outwears leather two to one. For men, women, children. Get the Neolite sole. Step on it. This is WOR New York, serving the largest single station audience in America. Welcome back. Well, there were some <clears throat> interesting alterations to the story, to say the least. Um, I just uh, finished reading this, uh, going through the uh, Return of Sherlock Holmes, also saw it on the TV version, and I was struck by how this was just, um, you know, uh, pretty radically changed to get a different ending. Um, not only ending a little bit different uh, from the book, but um, also uh, revealing the woman in the story early on um, really did uh, kind of uh, tip the story's hand uh, and make the mystery easier to guess at. I don't know why they uh, did that. Uh, I, I think the big surprise, you know, when I you know, saw this uh, particular story on uh, television uh, for the first time, was, you know, uh, was finding out that this woman was, you know, still in there. And, you know, first of all, the, there was a woman uh, when Holmes uh, made that call. 
and then you you find uh you, you know you find she's still in the room it's a, a pretty uh, astounding conclusion uh but i think a lot of this ended up telegraphed here in, in some ways i think they tried to improve upon it and uh, in terms of a more favorable ending, and perhaps um, a little bit of um, modern uh, political message with the character turning out to be Russian. So, this was not one of my favorite adaptations, but uh, I welcome your opinions as well. Well, we do turn, uh, before we go, to listener comments and feedback, and Bobby uh, says, My wife and I fall asleep every night listening to Johnny Dollar's Adventures. Thank you for providing us with uh, great entertainment. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it, Bobby. And speaking of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, uh, you'll be back with us tomorrow. And then join us next uh, time on Thursday for another episode of Sherlock Holmes. In the meanwhile, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.